Hi, I'm Eric, and this is Listen to Sleep. Quiet bedtime stories and meditations to help you fall deeply asleep. We had a beautiful sunny day up here on the mountain yesterday, and I got out for a nice long walk with Bodie to soak up some of that California sun and get some much-needed vitamin D. We haven't seen a whole lot of the sun this winter, but that's okay. (laughs) I also had a nice walk with Bodie in the rain earlier in the week. I love getting my rain pants on and my raincoat and checking out all the waterfalls when it's just pouring rain. I took some videos of both of those walks and put them up on TikTok this week. If you're not on TikTok, but you'd like to check them out, I put them on the blog at the website at listentosleep.com, and you can find a link in the show notes. It sure is great to have all this rain. On top of the fact that we need it to help end the drought, it's a good excuse to hunker down in the cabin and get some work done. This week, I spent a lot of time writing new meditations for the new Thursday night episodes. Did you get a chance to listen? Let me know what you think. You can get in touch through the website at listentosleep.com. And while I know every story or every meditation isn't going to appeal to everyone, I want to make sure that across the entire library of stories and now meditations, that there are lots of good options for everybody. Did you know that you can search and listen to every episode of Listen to Sleep at the website? Yep, each one has its own page, and you can play them right from there. The website is also a great way to share the podcast with friends and family. Would you do me a favor this week and send a link to your favorite story or meditation to someone you know who has a hard time sleeping? Unlike some of the big sleep and meditation apps with million-dollar budgets, it's just me making this podcast. And the way it's grown so far is by all of you sharing it with your friends and family. In 2022, I'm pledging to work twice as hard to make this my full-time job, and I could really use your help. Another way you can help me reach my goal is to join the Patreon. For less than a dollar a month, you can get both weekly episodes of the podcast a day earlier with no ads or introductions. So you'll get a story on Saturdays instead of Sundays, and you'll get the new meditations on Wednesdays instead of Thursdays. And if you want twice as many stories every week, including longer books that I read serially, like Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland, you can also join Listen to Sleep Plus through the Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, and you can get more information on the website at listentosleep.com. I want to thank all the folks who joined the Patreon this week. Thank you, Deanie, Jen, Natalie, Juno, Imani, Alina, Melissa, Savannah, Cynthia, Adam, Nicola, Aya, Lainey, Emily, James, and Liz. 
Thank you so much for your support. It means the world to me. This week's story is a sweet tale from the early 20th century about a family who live on a boat and a young girl who gets her first real doll. Let's take a deep breath in and out. Letting go of the day. Feeling yourself sinking down into your mattress with the weight of gravity gently pulling you down. Another deep breath in and out. Nothing to do, nowhere to go. This is your time. Time to rest. And one more deep breath in with me. And out. If you get tired while I'm reading to you, That's okay. Just let yourself drift off. The Traveling Doll Before the serpent came in the guise of a French doll, it was a gay little Eden of a shanty boat. Its doors were plaid paneled in red, green, and blue. Its square window frames were painted blue on one side of the house, red on the other, and green at the back. Here, to be sure, the paint grew thin and failed to hold out for the walls although gathering with a mixture of its three tints, it sprawled in a final effort to tell that the name of the little home was The Wing. But a short distance from the mainland, The Wing rested, anchored to a green island. A skiff was tied to its front mast, and a single plank connected the shanty boat with the great world, typical of the slender thread that bound the floating family to their kind. For the wings did not consort with other shanty boaters. Inside, the little abode was as gay as its exterior, and far more tidy. The stove with its tins were polished to the nines, The strips of rag carpet were bright and clean. The table was scoured white. The bed was neatly made. And under it, the family wardrobe was out of sight, in a long black brass-nailed box. A gaudy clock ticked noisily from the shelf. A tall lamp in a rainbow paper shade, 
the pride and glory of the home sat by its side. The wall was covered with bright posters. Everywhere were gay colors and shining cleanliness. And they were a satisfied family. Before the serpent came, Father Wing being a sturdy, silent fisherman who could always be counted upon to make a living, catching it on the water and spending it on land, and finding comfort in his gentle wife and ten-year-old daughter. Today, he was off fishing, and Mrs. Wing sat inside the sill of the plaid doorway, sewing on a high-necked, long-sleeved gingham apron, her head turned in a listening attitude that was habitual. Outside, on the little deck piazza, in a starched mate to the apron her mother was making, little Almira sat, hugging Botsy and feeling rather lonely. For although her father had left the skiff and taken Wally Jim away, Sweepins had surreptitiously followed. Almira was bare-legged and tow-headed, but she had a fair skin that defied exposure, and her face had never lost its baby curves. Her eyes were as blue as the river on a clear day and her mouth had a tender droop, as if she were always feeling sorry for something or someone. She was tilting her little stool, humming a song to Botsy, when her mother said, I hear voices. Who's on shore, Almira? Almira looked. There's two of them, Ma. They're beckoning me to come for them. One's Miss May, and the other's got a lace on her petticoat and a fuzzy thing round her neck. I reckon Miss May's coming about school again. I'm going to show her that last copy of yours. I wish I could spare you to get an education like my mother gave me, but I can't. Still, it ain't every child with eyes can read Braille. Almira was untying the boat. I wouldn't let you spare me. You'd catch a fire or you'd fall into the river. We'd rather stay here, wouldn't we? She was talking to Botsy now. No, you can't go with me. Jumping nimbly into the skiff, she began to cross the narrow strip of water. That baby row us she heard the lace lady ask. So she ran the boat in skillfully. Miss May stepped lightly in. The lace lady hesitated, then followed with a laugh. Almira could hardly work the oars for looking at her soft brown eyes and the little brown curl that fluttered on her cheek. A few strokes brought the skiff to the boat. Good morning, Mrs. Wing, called Miss May. Here's somebody you want to meet. Guess. Is it Mrs. Lennox, 
who sends the Braille books in the traveling library. You're a witch, cried the girl. The woman smiled brightly. Her blue eyes with the white sightless pupils turned toward the stranger. I'm glad to see you at last. We heard you were coming. Almira, have you brought seats for the ladies? The child, keeping her eyes on the beautiful stranger, brought forward two soap boxes upholstered in gay calico. If Botsy only had something like that for her neck. And she caught up the bottle in its crude skirt and blue crocheted shawl with an emphatic hug. Is that your doll? asked Mrs. Lennox. No, ma'am, it's Botsy. It's the bottle I've fixed up for her. I don't know how she'd pass the time if it wasn't for Botsy. You see, being so helpless, I try to make her enjoy staying with me. You know how helpless I am without her, Miss May. I know how helpful you are, and what a good housekeeper, said Miss May, looking about at the tidy interior. Then she told of her errand. Almira was invited to the schoolhouse reception party the next Wednesday. Wally Jim had offered to fish near the wing if Mr. Wing should have to be filling orders in town. Almira, her eyes still fixed on the beautiful lady's face, said, I went once. Miss May had an Easter just after we first come here. May I bring Botsy? But Miss May said no. A new library was due and if it reached the village in time, Almira would have books to bring back to her mother. Mrs. Wing smiled softly. How good of you. The last one was about a little Nell. Why is it our books are so much better than books for people that can see? Jack thinks so, and so does Almira. How I bless you, ma'am. Mrs. Lennox could say nothing. May had told her the story of the young mother, attacked by the scarlet fever that left her sightless ten years before. I'll let her come on Wednesday, pursued Mrs. Wing, but I'll never budge from this chair till she gets back. It's not as if I'd never seen how dangerous things are. With the school party, this tale has not to do. The child reached home betimes, carrying a package of books and a pasteboard box that seemed almost as long as herself. She was trembling with excitement. The library's come, Ma, and here's two books, and some cake and candy, and... Oh, Ma, just guess what's in the box. The mother felt, smiled, and shook her head. A little girl, a live little girl baby doll. And she lifted it from its shell. 
And Miss May, she's sometimes so funny. She said at first she believed she'd rather I wouldn't have her. But the lady said she wanted me to. The mother held out her arms for the doll, almost as excited as the child. Almira expounded. Its dress is blue, with buttons and buttonholes, and her hair is real. Put your hand here. It's brown, and these teensy brown curls slant on her cheeks, and her eyes are brown, and she can shut them and go to sleep, just like you and me. Well, I never, said the mother feeling around on the doll. And what is this paper pinned on her dress? It's a letter, answered Almira, sagely. It begins in print and ends in writing, but I can't make it all out. It says, Patent Unbreakable Celluloid, made in France. I'll ask Daddy the rest when he comes. And feel the petticoat, Ma. Lace. And tucks, added the mother. And see how fine the stuff is. Are these slippers? With heels, real heels, gurgled Almira. And stockings. And in the box, here's a hat and feather and a white nightgown. Almira's emotion got the better of her, and she flung herself into her mother's arms and rocked in ecstasy. Then came a familiar bark, and Sweepins preceded the husband and fell to sniffing the doll immediately. It's mine, Sweepins, cried the child. Look, Daddy! But the fisherman was too hungry to notice dolls, and so the trio prepared the supper of frizzled bacon, corn, hoe cakes, and weak coffee. Afterward was bedtime, and the little feather bed was pulled from the big one onto the floor and made up with clean quilts for the child. But first she undressed the doll, carefully plating its hair in two nice plates, putting the front in curl papers, and robing it in the nightdress, fine enough for the day. Mrs. Lennox had cautioned her to teach her child tidy ways like its grandmother's. Poor Botsy, hitherto her constant bedfellow, stood motionless outside the door. When morning came, and she was helping, her mother asked, What are you going to name her? It ought to be something pretty. I thought of Queenie. Queenie'll be fine, agreed Mrs. Wing. But where's the paper? Maybe she's already named. Outside, Daddy was mending a net when Almira brought him the paper. He read, Patent, unbreakable, celluloid, 
made in France. That's in print. And here in writing is, This traveling doll goes with traveling library number 10 to any child selected by persons responsible for the distribution of the books. It is the reward for good behavior or special merit in the place of a medal, and it is to belong to the child until the library is ready to go on, when the dolly, in neat condition and clean, her hair combed, her clothing washed and ironed, must be put back in her box and packed for the next child on the circuit. Almira snatched at the paper and ran into the boat. She laid Queenie on her mother's lap and crept out to the little deck. Botsy, again on guard, stood by the door. Almira seized her fiercely, tore off the blue shawl, dragged at the soiled skirt. An old, greasy bottle. How could it ever be taken back as her very own child when Queenie had to go? Almira, called the mother, scenting tragedy. Don't you want me to play grandmother with you and Queenie? What's the use? She's like your books. She ain't mine, and I never had a real child before. The paper says she must travel with the books. But the placid cheeriness of the blind woman smoothed matters. But she's yours now. And sometimes the books stay for weeks and weeks. Here was some comfort. One week was a long time. A month so long that Palmyra could hardly remember it. And Queenie was beautiful. Why not love her and be happy? And she was. For weeks and weeks that went by like a dream. She quite forgot what had happened until one day Wally Jim stopped with a note from Miss May in printing writing that Almira could read. It said, Will you let Queenie go on tomorrow? There's a dear little girl, just your age, up in the mountains, who may have to walk on crutches all her life. She is expecting the doll every day now, so have it looking clean and pretty, please. Almira, questioned the mother, but the child did not answer. Fortunately, no one was near but Wally Jim to see her screwed up face as she gulped once or twice. She handed him the paper to read, making a sign of silence. Whatever her emotions, she always instinctively spared her sympathetic mother. I wouldn't let her go, blurted Wally Jim, kicking one cowhide boot so hard against the tying post that he rocked the house. Almira's head shook in mournful dissent. 
When I took her, I knew I had to let her travel with the books, she said, with wonderful logic. Wally Jim would not look at her. You take my advice. Kick about it. It won't do any harm. He got into his skiff, with head turned from Almira's drawn face. But if you're bound to send her, I'll be round tomorrow for her and the books. What's that he said about the books? called the mother. Are some more coming? I suppose so. These have to go back. And the doll, oh, baby. Of course, answered Almira shortly. We'll wash her clothes today, for it says returned clean and neat. It was all right while the work went on. Queenie was washed, combed, braided, and dressed. Almira touched her as little as possible. When Queenie was laid in her box, wearing a blue hood knitted by the mother, and tied with the tapes that had held her still on her former journey, Almira thought she looked as if she were in a coffin. Then Almira caught sight of Botsy, as usual, on guard outside the door. Before Queenie came, Botsy was ever so much sweeter. If she had never seen Queenie, why could not the little girl in the mountains on crutches have a Botsy? They do all right until you've seen the other kind. Almira's character was one of quick decision. With a furtive look at her mother, she took Queenie from her nest and removed her hood, dress, shoes, and stockings. Then she stripped Botsy of her old skirt and blue shawl, putting Queenie's clothes on Botsy after a careful fashion, putting the blue woolen hood over Botsy's green glass countenance and folded Queenie's freshly starched nightgown on Botsy's chest. She viewed her work critically and with an access of turpitude stuffed empty sleeves and stockings with paper, putting on the slippers so that they stuck quite naturally from beneath the blue frock. And right over the place where Queenie's face should have looked from the hood, she pinned the paper. Then she tied the tapes tied them with a vicious screw of the mouth in hard, hard knots, put the lid on the box, and brought all to her mother, saying, in the evenest of tones, I want you to help me wrap her up. Poor baby, said the mother. Maybe someday Mrs. Lennox will send another. I never want another said the child sullenly. Going out to her stool in front, she dressed Queenie in the old skirt, put the shawl over her head, and tried to stand her on guard, Botsy fashion, 
But Queenie doubled up and refused. So she held her in her arms with a savage satisfaction, thinking, Queenie isn't any bottle doll. Once the mother brushed the wool of the little shawl as the child passed her on some household task. You've gone back to Botsy. That's right. You've the sense of a grown-up. The afternoon brought a scare. Miss May herself came for the packages. Suppose, oh, suppose. Almira barely had time to plump Queenie between the feather beds before Miss May landed in Wally Jim's skiff. Almira was glad that she had been prompt and that the string was tied in hard knots. Miss May praised her for being a good little girl and made her wince by depicting the gladness of that lame child in the mountains when Queenie should arrive. But Almira did not repent for a minute. She even said, poor little girl, with a hard-hearted irony. Miss May puckered her forehead, as she always did when she was thinking. That night, Almira tossed and tumbled, unable to sleep. Then the moon rose and sent a straight shaft of light through one of the little square windows onto the doll's face. Almira smothered a scream. One of Queenie's eyes was asleep, the other wide open, staring at her. She shook her hard, but that eye would not sleep. She held her up, but although the shut eye opened, an open eye shut, giving the effect of a wicked wink. How she longed for dear blind Botsy. Where was Botsy now? Could she feel, and did she know what had been done? No, Botsy was only a bottle. But Queenie knew, and Queenie was watching her with one eye to see what other wicked things were going to happen. And there was Miss May praising her and trusting her, and that little lame girl in the mountains expecting a doll and getting... Almira could not have called this a protest of conscience, but she knew she was utterly miserable. Furthermore, she realized that Queenie's ability to bring pride and happiness was gone, and that she herself would always have this something gnawing her inside. But must she? Perhaps it was not too late. Jim would help her. Tomorrow she would get him to stay near her mother while she went ashore with Queenie, the glaring Queenie, to Miss May, telling her how bad she had been. Perhaps number ten had not gone on, 
and Botsy could be stopped on her deceitful way. This resolve so comforted Almira that as the moon went down and darkness hid the staring eye, she fell asleep. She was awakened by voices and emotion she knew well. The daylight came broadly through the windows. She heard a clanging and creaking. A sick realization overwhelmed her. They had left the island. They were in the broad bed of the river, skimming away who knew where, away from Miss May and the chance of making things all right. She dressed herself, asking no questions, but her mother, holding to the arms of her chair, explained. Your pa thinks he'll do better off a larger town, so he came in before day and raised sail to get into the current while this good wind's blowing. Almira sat limply on her little stool. Queenie could not go back to Miss May, but she should not glare at her with her one eye for the rest of her life. Botsy could swim, but Queenie, Queenie could drown. And this time, there was no deliberation. She snatched at the doll, and going to the back of the boat, hurled it as far as she could into the river. Then she fell to helping her mother assiduously, being extra loving and attentive, giving little pats and squeezes as she passed her in her morning tasks, even running to hug her whenever the boat rocked in the waves made by passing craft. Mrs. Wing did the washing. Almira hung the clothes to dry in the bright, breezy sunshine. She scoured the already bright tins. She shook up the beds, hung the quilts to air, washed the floor and the deck. It was work she wanted, hard work. She made the discovery that work brought forgetfulness. She would have liked to scrub the floor of the world. Day was all right, but for all her bodily fatigue, she slept but fitfully that night. She wished people could work at night. Although they soon reached a place that her father called the Point and anchored a little way up the creek where things stopped shaking and were quiet, her eyes would not close. This point was not like the Green Island. There were smells. They were far enough inland to see a street with people walking. Indeed, they were almost under a bridge that let the streetcars go by. Daddy left early. After putting the cabbage on to boil, her mother sat down to her seams and hems in the checked blue gingham. Almira, empty-handed, moped on her little three-legged stool at the door. Sweepins, wringing wet, 
snored on the sunny deck. A skiff came up the stream. In it, Wally Jim. I've brought you something, he called. Miss May got to thinking after she got home, and she says she'll get another doll for that mountain kid, and you can have Queenie back. He reached under the seat and with dramatic effect drew out the long box. At the sight of it, Almira's self-control gave way. Here was punishment indeed. To her mother's arms she rushed, blurting out the truth with sobs. Wally Jim, asked Mrs. Wing, how far is Miss Mays from here? Not so very far, and she's down in town today. Said she was coming. Take the box back to her, Wally Jim, sobbed Almira. Let her see it just as it is, because she hasn't opened it, and she thinks she's sending me Queenie, and I'll write a letter besides. I'll take all the letters you want, but I won't take the box, because whatever's in it, it's yours. There was something different and set about Wally Jim this morning. Almira signed resignedly, and with painstaking labor, proceeded to print her letter of repentance. You have got back Botsy, dear, said the mother. So try to forget. I'll never play with Botsy again. I'll give her away first. In an incredibly short time, they heard Jim's oars again, and Miss May stepped on deck. She was holding out her arms to Almira, and there were tears in her eyes. Dear child, I didn't like the idea from the very first, but Mrs. Lennox does so much for us. You'll be all the better for the sharp experience, and you have really shown your repentance. Now, let's open the box and see exactly what you did. Quite cheerfully, all the miserable feelings gone, Almira brought scissors, cut strings, pointing out the while the iniquities of hard knots and covered features. What? Queenie? From the bottom of the river? Dry, clothed, and with her two eyes shut? Almira looked at Miss May and at Wally Jim, grinning over Miss May's shoulder. What has happened now? asked Mrs. Wing. Tell your story, Jim said Miss May. I was drifting some way off behind you, said Jim, and maybe sleeping some, when who should swim up to the skiff with something in his mouth but sweepings? It was Queenie, but as she celluloid, only her clothes were wet. I was 
puzzled out that somehow she hadn't gone back to Miss May, and that she ought to. So I took her, and Miss May says, If this is Queenie, what's in Almira's box? And we looked, and there was Botsy. And, oh, I was so sorry, said Miss May, taking up the tale. Though I'd known all along that a traveling doll would cause heartache, and this proved it would do worse. I sent Queenie back, after having her doctored, knowing that my little Almira was good before temptation came, and wishing to know what it had made of her. I'm satisfied. And Miss May hugged the child once more. The blind mother was smiling. Miss May, she's only a child, you know, but she suffered like a grown-up, and with it all, helped me just the same as ever. Almira dug her bare toes into the rag carpet. Where'd Boxy go? she asked without looking up. If I were you, I'd look under the seat of my boat, said Wally Jim. Good night.